How many of you can remember back when you were a kid or a teenager to what you wanted to be when you grew up? Anybody can remember back to that? Blake, that's a little easy, Chelsea, but you know, some of the rest of us, that's, that's a ways back. How many of you are doing now what you wanted to be? Oh, look, we got, it. we got a few hands there. That's pretty cool. How many of you still haven't figured out what you want to be when you grow up? Yeah, okay. Well, when I was a, a little kid, some of you probably have heard this, I remember very, very distinctly at a very young age um, wanting to be a pilot. And I even got for Christmas this little pilot's pajama set. And I remember them. They were kind of a bluish kind of set, um, had a hat. But, I mean, they were pajamas, so they're flannel kind of stuff. Anyway, it's pretty cool. I, I don't have a picture of it, so, I, you know, there you go. Anyway, um, but a little bit later, maybe the next Christmas, maybe a couple Christmases, you know, hard to remember when you're that little. But anyway, there came a point where I wanted to be a doctor. And uh, for Christmas, I got this really cool big book that kind of gave the history of, of uh, medical, the medical technology. It was pretty cool. Well, then uh, a little while later, you know, a little bit more cognizant of God in my life and church, there was a time where I uh, felt like I wanted to be a missionary. And then I got this great idea somewhere a little bit after that, that I would be a missionary helicopter doctor. And that way I would be able to fly around remote parts of the world and help people with their body and their soul. But I'm not doing those at this point. Somewhere, for most of us, between the dream of what we want to be and becoming that is often a great chasm. Many of us here this morning probably have dreams or ideas of what we want to be. Uh, There was a time when one of my daughters had hoped to someday be a professional Christian singer. Another one wanted to be a ballerina, but she also wanted to be a missionary. Some of you here have dreams of owning your own successful businesses. Some of you dream of being financially able to have lots of nice things and be able to give lots of money away. Some of you have uh, dreams of having a rewarding and satisfying career. Some of you uh, have dreams of a successful marriage and family. Some of you may even have dreams of an exciting and dynamic relationship with God. Maybe others, a dream of being free of nagging habits and patterns and addictions in your life. But how do we get there? How do we cross that chasm between what we are and what we want to be? Well, that chasm is crossed by receiving and experiencing God's grace. This Christmas season, we have been sharing with you uh, about a family and a church tradition called Advent. And each week we have lit one of the candles and we have answered the question, why did Jesus come? By describing something that Jesus came to bring. As has been pointed out, the first week in Advent we lit the hope candle. And we often dream of what we would like to be or do in life. We hope that someday it will happen. Life is full of hopes and dreams. And often, I think we've, many of us have experienced, if we lose hope, we lose purpose. The second week in Advent, we lit the mercy candle. Most of us are not uh, extremely exceptional people. Probably many of us are just ordinary people. In fact, if we were to have a video of each of our private lives, um, I think most would agree that at times we're not even very good people, that we're not deserving of the good that so often comes to us. And that's mercy. 
that break that helped you get into that college you wanted, that teacher that took a special interest in you, that boss that seemed to go out of their way to see you become more successful, that opportunity to change jobs, to move, to start over. That's all mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. The Bible tells us that our moral failures and shortcomings are deserving of eternal separation from God, but that through Christ, God offers us forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. The Bible also says that every good and perfect gift comes to us from God. That's mercy. It's something, however, that we have to receive. Last week, we lit the faith candle. Faith, I suggested, is receiving the mercy of God. It's believing the word of God, something that God has said, and taking action on that belief by faith. Throughout life, we're confronted with circumstances, situations that require a response from us. As the opportunities in life come to us to see our hopes and our dreams fulfilled, we have to act on them. We have to step out in faith. We have to say yes to God. Yes, God, I will accept your heart. I will accept your plan for my life. Yes, God, I will step out and take action on your mercy and these opportunities to see my dreams fulfilled. But at that point, we face a significant crisis. Very often, we don't have the skill or the experience or the ability to accomplish what's needed to see that dream fulfilled. We may not be smart enough. We may not be good-looking enough. We may not be able to speak well enough. We may not be spiritual enough. None of us, by ourselves, have the goods to be all that we dream or hope to be. As I suggested, there is this chasm between hope and what we want to be and the reality of what we are. And that chasm is bridged by mercy and faith. But without grace, we're still left on our side of the chasm. Mercy says it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Faith is our response where we say, yes, God, I will take that step. But then grace is the bridge we cross. It has nothing to do with us. It is God's provision of grace. Grace is God's means, his provision upon which we walk out our faith to get where we want to go, to become what we want to become, and to do what we want to do. Let's watch this familiar clip. Please, boy. You must. Please. 
Yeah, how many of us do that last little thing there? Yes, God, thank you for your grace. Let me see what I can do to help find it again. Why did Jesus come? He came to bring us grace. Have you ever heard someone say, I just can't do that, but I'll try. I just can't run anymore, but I'll try. I can't swim anymore, but I'll try. I just can't complete that project on time, but I'll try. And what happens? Some people do it and others don't. Why? Faith and grace. Those that make it step out with determination and faith, no matter the consequences. And something rises up in them. Strength, grace. And they overcome the most common definition of, for the Christian understanding of the word grace is undeserved favor. But that's what mercy is. Getting what you don't deserve. However, there is another understanding of the word grace that I believe can help us more fully understand the nature of grace in the Bible. Let me give you a biblical definition of grace and some biblical examples. And I might encourage you someday, if you're ever thoughtful and you're reading the word grace, that rather than undeserved favor, that you apply this definition and see how it fits for you. Grace is God's empowering presence, enabling you to be everything God has created you to be and to do everything that God has called you to do. Let me just point out a couple of verses and I think that that will become clear. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Stephen, in and of himself, was not able to perform a miracle or heal anyone. But Stephen, full of God's grace, could do those things. Full of grace and power, he performed miracles. Acts 4.33 says, With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. God's empowering presence. It's a little bit like the spinach, you know, that Popeye used to eat. Popeye was normally this skinny, shy kind of wimp, you know, kind of a little bit like I was. But when he ate that can of spinach, he was transformed into that muscular, bold He-Man. Grace is also a little bit like the Force in the Star Wars movies. However, grace is not limited to just a few individuals. It's available to all of us. If we will believe God's word, if we will take action on that belief. Also, grace, God's power, is not matched by a dark side. The enemy, Satan, has power, but that power is significantly limited by God. Let me share with you a few things about God's grace to help us see if we can get a handle on it. Firstly, grace is activated by what we believe and how we act. Grace requires faith to be the agent to ignite grace. It's the fuse that ignites the dynamite. It's the nitro that when mixed with glycerin causes an explosion. Colossians 15.10, Paul says, But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out such kindness, mercy, 
and grace upon me, and not without results, for I have worked harder than all the other apostles. Yet actually, I was not doing it, but God was working in me. God's grace was at work in me. Paul worked and acted out of belief and faith that mixed with God's grace caused the outcome of the fruit of Paul's ministry. So grace is activated activated by what we believe and how we act. It also is increased by humility, but hindered by pride. James 4.6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, there is within our culture a fairly accepted and strong sense of self-sufficiency. If I just work hard enough, I can get what I want. If I just try hard enough, I can make it. Leave me alone, I can do it myself. Very, very common patterns in our society. But though that might work for a while, eventually we run out of our own resources. We get to the end of our rope, so to speak. Or we perhaps even find ourselves bankrupt. Through humility, which means agreeing with God, we agree with God that we're needy, that we can't make it on our own, that we need Him. And then grace becomes activated in our life. Thirdly, grace takes our hopes and our dreams that we've spoken of and it transforms them into reality. Psalms 37, 3-4 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Within each one of us, God has planted seeds of His heart, plans for our lives. And those seeds become the positive hopes and dreams that we long for. Throughout our life, God's mercy rains down on us those seeds. And then faith springs up in our hearts. Then our step of action, our faith, is met with God's abundant grace. And those hopes and those dreams become reality. This church is the fruit of those seeds from mine and many of your own hearts. My marriage and my children are the fruit of seeds of hope in my and my wife's lives. The changes and transformation that I have experienced through the years are fruit of the seeds that God has put in my heart for upright living, for better relationships, for pleasing God, watered by His mercy and met in me with faith and empowered by God's grace. Now I want to give you two fairly uh, significant areas where we see and experience grace. Firstly, grace is at work in salvation. One of the conversations that people sometimes get into about the process of salvation is the issue of the sovereignty of God and the free will of humankind. And we have various uh, understandings and beliefs on that regard here in our own congregation. Did God choose you or did you choose God? What do you think? How many of you lean towards the sovereignty of God's side? That God chose you. Okay. How many of you lean towards the free will of humankind that you chose God? Okay. We don't have very many of those. Uh, how many of you aren't sure? Okay. How many of you think it's both? Some of you have been trained by me before on this topic. Well, that's where I fall. 
which is challenging because it doesn't work very rationally. Uh, I told this, I've told this story from my own college um, doctrine class taught by a Lutheran um, that he described grace this way. He said, um, grace, God's grace, his sovereignty, our free will are a little bit like the railroad tracks. I should have had a picture of one. I forgot this part. Well, it's not my notes, so that's why. Anyway, it's a little bit like the railroad tracks. You look down the track far enough on a straight shot, and it looks like they come together. The reality is, though, what the rationality that we know is they're not. They're always separated by that two and a half, three feet, whatever that distance is. Ephesians 2.8, a passage that we often look to about salvation as well as grace and faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. That's a passage that we wrestle with relative to the sovereignty of God and the free will of God. And, and it seems to suggest that it's not of ourselves, that it's a gift of God. God's empowering presence, you've been saved through faith, belief accompanied with action. And that, not of yourselves, a gift of God. But what is the that that Paul is referring to? Is he referring to that which is not of yourselves, the faith, or the grace, or both of them? I think we have typically responded and suggested it's both. Neither faith is from us, grace is a gift, faith is a gift. I disagree. Theologians are split on this. I'm not the only one who believes this. Paul seems to me to be referring back to grace. And that, grace, that is not of yourselves. Because we've already seen and understood that, that salvation requires faith. It requires action. It requires us to take a leap of faith. So I would advocate that God's grace, that free gift of grace, plus faith, which is belief and action, together equal salvation. God's empowering presence, grace, is what God brings to the equation. And faith or belief accompanied with action is what we bring to the equation. When mixed together, these ingredients, grace and faith, cause a reaction which results in the cataclysmic reaction of salvation. That's my take on it. Now, I want you to help you understand something that I think some people have potentially tragically missed about salvation. If either of these ingredients is not present, then that reaction, that cataclysmic reaction of salvation cannot occur. Salvation cannot occur, of course, without God's part, grace. But it also cannot occur without our part, belief and action, faith. And it can't occur if we only have half of our equation. There are people in the world who have belief. They believe in Jesus as God's son. They believe in Jesus' death and resurrection. But they've never applied that action of living as God's loved, forgiven, and empowered servant. Those are very religious people who talk the talk but don't walk the walk. And that will not result in salvation. There are others who have taken action. They've attempted to be good. They have given money. They've walked elderly ladies across the street, whether they wanted to go there or not. 
They've uh, lived a life of good works. They've, uh, but they've never applied belief. And their good works are not enough. There are religious people who look good, but it's all self-effort. And that will not result in salvation. There is a need to trust and believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus coupled with our action of faith that brings salvation. Some of you here today may have lived your life expressing religious activities, but you've never combined your action with faith in the completed work of Jesus. Others of you may have actually have religious belief, but you're still living your life as if you're the boss. You're still making decisions for yourself rather than living according to what God has said is best in the Bible. The Holy Spirit empowers us with grace, which when combined with faith, brings this cataclysmic reaction of salvation. Secondly, we can also see grace at work in life and godliness, in the way that we live our lives. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. God's divine power, grace, has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Thus He has given us through these things His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust, and may become participants of the divine nature. For this very reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with action, goodness, and goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with mutual affection, and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that this passage, like the passage from Ephesians, says that God's grace, His empowering presence, is active with our faith, with our belief and our action. And the two together ignite in the God life. God's divine power, His grace, has given us everything needed to live our lives in a godly way, fully pleasing to Him. But we must make every effort to support our faith with action. I'm reminded of the uh, uh, quote from Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China back in the uh, uh, 1800s, excuse me. And his advocacy, it might have been William Carey who went to India. I'm not sure which one it was at this point, sorry. But anyway, one of the two, uh, both of them were significant men of prayer. And, And one of them said this. They said, pray as if it all depends on God. Grace. But act as if it all depends on you. Faith. And I think that the confusion that we have over these concepts of the sovereignty of God and free will of man impact us in how we live. I touched on that relative when I was teaching last week on faith. That there is this tendency to sort of say, well, God will take care of it. Well, God's sovereign, so, you know, he's, he's in control. 
which leaves, that's just lame. It, it leaves, you know, us to be pamsy wamsies. On the other hand, I'm not advocating that we leave God out of the equation and that we become the best, you know, goody-gooders that there are on the planet. But there is, a, there is a combination. God's created us that way. I think that without that, it, the whole thing wouldn't work. You know, it's back to that idea if we were, if God had created us without choice, then, but he created us to love him, then, then we would have been robots. But God could only be truly loved by us as human beings if we had the choice to love him. That's where that faith part comes in. But I can't, I can't love him. I can't love my wife. I, I can't love my kids. I can't take care of my family in the way that I need to without his grace. I need to do all I can. I need to make every effort. We need to make every effort. But we recognize that we make that in light of his grace coming at us like a railroad train. We see, again, grace and faith igniting in this cataclysmic reaction of the God life lived out by a follower of Christ. Why do so many Christians struggle with sin and addictive patterns of sin? I would suggest that they either have not welcomed God's available, empowering presence, or they've not added faith and action to make every effort. When those things come together in a person, you'll see a person who looks like Jesus. A verse that caught my attention some time ago when I was reading through 1 John is 1 John 2.6 that says, Anyone who claims to be intimate with God ought to live the same kind of life Jesus lived. Now, that's a high bar. Some of us want to say, well, that's just not possible. So, oh well. But it isn't possible by action alone. But God has said that he wants you to live that kind of life. Those are his words. Those are his promises. So it's a little bit like the the bridge thing that Indy had to step out on. God said, this is the way to go. This is where I want you to be like my son. If we say, ah, there's no way, forget it, that, that doesn't work. God is wanting us to take that leap of faith, that step of faith, to join and then anticipate his grace being there for us. Now, I think, that's, I, I think there's really something here for those of you who struggle in, in various areas of your life that you just, perhaps patterns that you just wish weren't there. I think God has said, my strength, my provision is sufficient for you. But I think it's possible that we just sort of turn our back and say, no, nah, that's right, it's not, not enough for me. And we go the course of the patterns. Rather than God has said, I am to live and be like Jesus and to engage and to step forward by faith, anticipating his grace to be there. Now, this isn't the whole answer for life and godliness, but it is a significant piece. I have a word of encouragement for those of you who struggle with entanglements of sin. The power of God is at hand. It is within your reach to see your life completely transformed into made new. God's word says that. He has made that promise to you. 
but you have to reach out. You have to extend yourself. You have to stretch beyond what you think you can to make every effort with everything in you. And wham, God's grace and your faith and effort will ignite in a powerful reaction of freedom, transformation, and new life. Let's look one more time at this passage from Second Peter. God's divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through knowing Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Thus He has given us through these things His precious and very great promises. I have defined faith as taking action on something that God has said. And here in this passage, it speaks of grace, divine power. It speaks of God's promises, his statements, his declarations. And then it says, for this reason, we must make every effort to support faith with action. If these things are yours and increasing among you, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. God wants us as his followers, as his sons and daughters, to experience his grace. The power of his life lived out through us. And that power is present and available. That bridge was there. Before he walked up to it, I know it's fantasy, but it's good illustration. It was there. Couldn't see it frightening to even imagine that I have to go across this chasm. But the book said to take the leap of faith. And God's word says that we need to take the leap of faith. His grace, the power of His life lived out through us and that power being present and available, ignited with faith. The Holy Spirit empowers us with grace. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to bring us grace. God's empowering presence that we might be everything that God has created us to be and to do everything that God has called you and me to do. This morning, I would like to invite you to receive God's grace. Two weeks ago, we talked about receiving God's mercy. Last week, we talked about stepping out in faith. This week, I want to ask you to receive God's power to come into your life, to take charge, to bring that spinach into your life, to make you the kind of Jesus that you really would like to be. Perhaps life has not gone the way you would have liked. Perhaps you feel like your life's a lemon. I can imagine the shepherds felt that way. The shepherds were outcasts. They were viewed as nobodies. And yet God saw fit to come to them to extend grace and mercy. But that Christmas Eve, God's grace and power showed up in the person and message of the angel. You know, the shepherds, as I said last week, they could have responded in disbelief and apathy. Maybe we should check on this next week. You know, I'm kind of tired right now. I really would like to get in a good night's sleep. Uh, Those are pretty strange-looking people. I don't think they can really be trusted. 
but that's not how they responded. They allowed God's grace, his empowering presence, to ignite with their faith, and they took off to go see the thing they had been told. God said, today, tonight, a child has been born. Luke tells us, the shepherds went back to their fields and flocks, glorifying and praising God for what the angels had told them because they had seen the child, just as the angel had said. God said in his word through Peter that God's divine power, his grace, has given us everything we need to be husbands and wives, sons and daughters, moms and dads. Faithful, responsible employees. Financially stable individuals. Caring and loving people. Would you be willing this morning, like the shepherds, to respond to God's word of His grace being available to you for everything that you need to live your life fully pleasing to Him? To take a step of faith, though perhaps like Indy you can't see the bridge, but to take it based on the promise of God. You know, this might be in the area of your relationship with God. It might be in the area of your marriage or with your kids or your jobs or your finances. It might be hurts from the past. It might be difficulties in your relationships. It might be areas or patterns of habits of sin. Things that are hindering you from being all that you were created to be and called to do. If you're willing to do that today, then I want to ask you to step out to receive God's grace and power. And if you'd be willing to do that, I'm just going to invite, just while you're sitting there, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me. And then we'll welcome you to come to pray for you. If you're willing and interested, you say, I've got to have this. This is, this is exactly what's missing. I, I believe, I, I think... I mean, I know that God wants things to be different for me, but I'm just not experiencing it. Well, then you need grace. Would you close your eyes and just pray this prayer with me, just quietly in your own heart? God, thank you for the hope, this little flicker of hope that you have placed in my heart. Thank you for the mercy that you have extended to me, though I don't deserve it. Thank you for helping me today step out and walk by faith. And right now, I receive your grace. I welcome your empowering presence in my life. Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I need your grace. And just take a moment. Tell him, what is it that you need his grace for? Just tell him, Jesus, I need your grace for. Say it to him. Now again with me. I receive your grace that I might be all that you have created me to be and to do all you have called me to do. Father, I thank you for these here who 
long to see that power of grace at work in their life. Maybe there have been times in the past where they have, have known your grace, your power. You just They can look back, think back. But Lord, it's been a little empty. It's been a little dry. There have been struggles. Oh God, come. Bring your grace. Establish your empowering presence through your Holy Spirit. Have your way this Christmas. Be the babe in the manger that we believe, but the Son of God on the cross. Might we take action to step out, to follow you, to declare our commitment to you, and might we welcome that empowering presence to be who you've called us to be and to do what you've called us to do. Lord, as we walk out these days, uh, next few days, Lord, some here are finding themselves in um, places of aloneness, challenged with fear and hurt. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come like you came to those shepherds and that they would respond that they would find you near. And Father, for those that are going to gather with family and friends, might we be that example of Jesus? Might it not be so much about the presence we're getting, but the presence we're giving? Might it be about the opportunity to love someone by taking a plate of food to them rather than stepping up and getting ours? Might it be an opportunity to lead, to step out and say, you know what, how about we pray? How about we thank God for His Son, Jesus? How about we pause to remember what this day is about? Hey, how about we sing happy birthday to Jesus? Lord, let us be those who lead Be glorified, oh God. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you particularly were touched this morning, a sense of that need for God's grace, and you'd like someone to pray with you some more, I'd like to invite some of the folks here who can pray for others to come on up and then welcome you here after the service. Come on down to the front. And We'll have folks pray with you. Uh, some of you may be experiencing some challenges here at this season. It's pretty common. You don't need to be embarrassed about that. Um, some have lost loved ones in the last year, and they won't be with them this Christmas for the first time. So just let the body of Jesus come around you and be that presence of God that you need. Also, just as a, an aside... World Center, the church that owns uh, this building, uh, is performing a play this afternoon. Uh, this evening, I'm told it's really, really good. And uh, we were given free tickets for it. I guess they were attempting to sell them. 
if you're interested, have some time. Maybe you got some kids you want to take to something. This one is uh, Sunday at 6.30 p.m. Might want to come in back. I think it's in their main auditorium. I'll have these down. You know what? I'll put them back at the back. And if you want to grab one, do something tonight, fun. As a family, come out for a play. That would be fun to do at Christmas. Again, if I could have some folks come up to pray, and uh, others of you, if you would like to receive prayer, we'd love to be able to do that for you. Thanks for coming. Have a great Christmas. And uh, those of you who will be back next week, we will see you then.